0: Welcome to the Water Tower Hour. I am your host, Jesse Redmond, Managing Director at Water Tower Research. In this episode, we're talking about InMed Pharmaceuticals. InMed is a global leader in the pharmaceutical research, development, manufacturing, and commercialization of rare cannabinoids and cannabinoid analogs. Today, we're focusing on its Bay Medica subsidiary, which sells high-purity, rare cannabinoid-based ingredients for the health and wellness sectors. InMed trades on the NASDAQ under the ticker INM, and you can learn more about the company at idmedpharma.com. You can find our coverage at Baymed on watertowerresearch.com. Click on the Companies tab and scroll down to idmed. Our research is free and available to all investors. To to discuss the company, I'm joined by Jerry Griffin, VP of Sales and Marketing at Baymedica. Jerry, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. I've actually been listening to a bunch of your stuff recently, and I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Well, great. We appreciate it. Yeah, we've been um, busy, you know, across across all sectors, but especially in things related to cannabis and cannabinoids. It feels like after a bit of a drought, interest is uh, is really picking up, which is nice.
1: Yeah, I love your perspective on everything. Yeah, really looking forward to this.
0: Well, great. I appreciate it. So, Jerry, I talk a lot about cannabis um, in my world, and. Rare cannabinoids are related to cannabis, but it's a really different, unique space, and I love the applications for the health and health and wellness sectors. You know, one of the reasons I'm in cannabis is because my dad is a chronic pain patient. And he's used whole plant cannabis uh, for relief, but he's really found some excellent results with some of these rare cannabinoids as well, specifically for him. Um, He used CBD to start out with, which I know isn't rare. Then he evolved into CBG and has gotten a lot of relief from that. And honestly, before my dad uh, started using cannabis medically, I didn't know a ton about rare cannabinoids. I heard about CBD, which again, isn't really rare, but is at least not THC. But maybe you could start out for the for the listeners that aren't as educated, a little bit newer to this cannabinoid space. What is a rare cannabinoid, and why are they so important?
1: Yeah, um, great place to start. And yeah, we've all had our experiences. I actually treated my mother who uh, passed a little ways back from ALS, but but we treated her with uh, cannabis and cannabinoids uh, through that experience, and it helped a lot. So you know, we we all have our experience in this space, and we've all kind of seen uh, seen the light, so to speak. But um, cannabinoids are a class of molecules that are made by the human body, and they're also found outside the body, Um, primarily, uh, we now know, in the cannabis plant. Now, everyone has heard of major cannabinoids, like you said, like CBD and and THC, but um, over 100 different cannabinoids have been discovered. Um, Rare or sometimes called minor cannabinoids are those that are not represented in large concentrations in the cannabis plant. But like CBD and THC, uh, research has shown that these rare cannabinoids have very powerful health and wellness value because of how they modulate a system in the human body known as the endocannabinoid system, or uh, ECS for short. Now, most people don't know this, and the scientific community is definitely still learning, but all mammals have an ECS. The ECS is this homeostatic regulatory system um, that has a network of receptors um, that exist in all human cell types. So whether it be cannabinoids your body makes or those introduced from outside the body, cannabinoids modulate the ECS. And because ECS is so responsible for so many functions in the human body, um, things like uh, sleep, or pain response, or uh, immune response, or inflammatory response, right? Just to name a few. Many believe, um, and I believe correctly, that cannabinoids have therapeutic potential in almost all health and wellness issues that humans experience. And that includes major diseases. And, you know, this isn't a bold, some bold claim. The research supports this, and the scientific community is starting to recognize this. So that's why this class of molecules is so important, you know, why we're so passionate about it and ostensibly, you know, the definition you asked for.
0: And so Jerry, when we think about minor cannabinoids or think about maybe whole plant cannabis, we, we have these hundred you know, plus cannabinoids and together those work is something called the entourage effect. Mm-hmm. And what that means is if you blend different cannabinoids together, rather than being one plus one equals two, it's more of a one plus one equals three type mm-hmm. effect uh, and there's a real be- benefit to mixing these together. But when you do that, if you consume, let's just say you go buy wedding cake at the dispensary, you're, you'll have a whole bunch of cannabinoids, but it's mainly going to be C- THC with a bit of CBD. And the dominant effect there is still going to be the euphoric, more THC effect, which which be guided by terpenes and other cannabinoids, but you're still going to get quote unquote high.
1: And yeah.
0: in the rare cannabinoid space, it's, I mean, there may be things that do produce, you know, psychoactive effects, but broadly, Jerry, the way that I see it is you can get a lot of medicinal benefit and it works really well for somebody that's maybe not looking for that, you know, side effect, you know, quote, side effect of getting high.
1: You know, that's exactly right. Um, you know, a lot of these cannabinoids and specifically the ones that Bay Medica makes are, are not intoxicated, yep. right? Um, they just have what we view as health and wellness potential. Um, mass market potential as a result of their health and wellness potential, and um, yeah, they 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 serve a critical role uh, in the marketplace outside of you know you know what we would call recreational or adult use cannabinoids.
0: And they can give you such a range of feelings too, right? I mean, two two that I've learned about through um, people, you know, looking for different different types of relief from conditions. Are you have something like CBN, which you are seeing used more and more in effect space things? For example, mm-hmm. I think I, th- I think in the gummy space or the edible space, that's huge. And I know people that have gotten a lot of uh, a lot of you know great results from using CBN at night. So that's one that's going to give you more of that um, you know sleepy type feeling. On the other side, Jerry, I've been hearing a ton about THCV. Mm-hmm. And that has almost the opposite effect. I'm excited to try it. Um I um, actually ordered some not too long ago and um, I'm going to see what the effect is like. But that's supposed to be A on the more uplifting side, and B gives it also has an appetite suppressant effect, which is super interesting to me because one of the things that's uh, people that have used cannabis might know is something called the munchies, right, Cherry? Where you eat mm-hmm. cannabis and you get high because it's yeah. an appet- yeah. appetite appetite, yeah. appetite stimulant. And that's really yeah. helpful. So for some people that are sick, right, and want you know, need help stability their appetite great for cancer patients yes. for example um, but on the other side you know not everybody's looking to you know have it i think more more of us would like an app you know less appetite stimulation in our life i think i think most of us are looking to maybe eat a little bit less than, than yeah. a little bit more yeah. but i just wanted to highlight you know two cannabinoids that have been on in my mind which is you know on one side just to show the diversity of the effects on one side you have the cbn which is more sleeping and sedating on the other side you have THCV which is more uplifting, more uplifting
1: yeah, all those things you said about CBN and THCV are exactly right. Like Those are the use cases that are reported to us most by the brands that are making products from the, from the ingredients that, that we make. Um, another one to not sleep on is CBC. It's one of my, yeah. most, one yeah. of my most favorite cannabinoids. I regularly ingest uh, a one-to-one CBC and a THC product in very small doses, and it elevates my mood to a place of happiness and kind of blissfulness, right? more so than like the status quo which would be like i'm crashing off of like you know the 10 cups of coffee i had this morning and i feel like dirt you know so um you know that's one that i wouldn't sleep on uh, either it's it's one of my favorite cannabinoid cannabinoid combinations
0: and again with, with the with, with the one-to-one jerry then you are getting still getting a bit of that entourage effect that those work synergistically i would imagine the thc and the c yeah
1: I mean, most of the products that we see on the market that, that are using the ingredients that, that we make, the cannabinoids that we make, are ratioed ingredients. They're okay. combinations of other cannabinoids. There's certainly exceptions to that. Um, I posted about this recently. Um, there's a company out of Colorado called Vivamoo, They've got a 50 milligram CBC gel cap. It's one cannabinoid. And you know, to hear them tell the story, uh, it sells okay out in the marketplace, but it's actually internally one of the most popular cannabinoid products that they sell because people use it for um i'll have to use uh, i can't use the p word but you know just general discomfort that they have in their bodies some as a result of you know past surgeries that they've had mm-hmm. some as a result of you know conditions that they have that lead to migraines so you know um you hear about a lot of this stuff anecdotally but certainly it, it all adds up to um uh, you know, validation that single cannabinoids uh, can do their thing just as well as the ratio products. But majority of what's out there are ratio products.
0: And so how does Baymedica fit into this rare cannabinoid landscape?
1: Yeah, um, Baymedica produces specific rare cannabinoids that, uh, that we believe to have, as I've mentioned over and over, tremendous health and wellness value. And we sell these products, um, these ingredients out into the open market. Um, of all the rare cannabinoids that exist, we focus on the ones that are impractical to extract from the cannabis plant for for one reason or another. Um, today, we make four cannabinoids. Um, one of them is uh, cannabichromene (CBC), which I just mentioned. Another one is uh, tetrahydrocannabiverin, which is THCV, which is the one that you just mentioned. Uh, another one is uh, CBT, um, also known as cannabicitram. It's also known as CBTC. And uh, the last one is um, which is also known as CBDV. And we produce all of these under food grade CGMP conditions. And we've got a pretty maniacal focus on quality systems and providing um, you know, frictionless customer buying experience as we as we call it. So that's, yeah, that's us in a a nutshell. Um, We specialize in the production of rare cannabinoids and we sell them as ingredients out into the open market.
0: Two questions. How did you choose that roster of cannabinoids and are these hemp derived? Um, These, this roster of
1: cannabinoids, you know, going back to what I just said, the impracticality of extraction presents itself with certain cannabinoids. So I'll give you an example. THCV. Um, widely known, well-studied, clinical trials have been done on it, lots known about the science. You cannot extract that from a hemp plant because the genetics don't exist. You can only get it from a marijuana plant that's scheduled, which means, you know, you can't transact it across state lines and and all manner of other issues, issues, right, in terms of how to, to get at that from the plant. So what we have decided is that that, has mat, huge mass market potential because of all the science that exists but also the impracticality of getting it from the plant leads us to where um, we made a decision to synthesize that molecule we synthesize that molecule it is bioidentical to what the plant makes down to all the subtle subtle molecular differences that can exist with synthesized material and again it's bioidentical to what the plant makes but to answer both your questions no it's not from have. Um, And, uh, yeah, so.
0: And so this is what we call cannabinoid analog.
1: Cannabinoid cannabinoid analog would be different. Cannabinoid analog would be a structurally different cannabinoid that mostly looks like the cannabinoid, uh, that it started from. Um, so for example, using THCV again, as an example, THC has these carbons on its side chain, and maybe that you, you add a at the molecular level maybe you add an extra carbon side chain to increase its binding affinity um, or somehow affect its efficacy in a positive favorable way in a pharmaceutical setting those are what analogs are Um, these are not cannabinoids that exist in nature um, but they are constructed in a way that maybe improves their uh, therapeutic value in in a pharmaceutical setting okay these are cannabinoids that the plant makes You would not know the difference between them. The body would not know the difference between them. We just happen to synthesize them outside the plant for for the reasons I mentioned earlier.
0: Okay. And so, Jerry, when I think back to a few years ago, my dad started using um, more sophisticated medical cannabis back in about 2016. And when I first got introduced to some of these minor cannabinoids, even CBD back then, which I know isn't minor, but um, it was really expensive. And back then, it was expensive for consumers to get it directly. And it's also been ex- expensive, and sometimes really not even feasible to add rare cannabinoid products um, you know, to make to make more formulated CPG type things. That's changed a lot over the past few years, and I know it's really changed with yeah. Bay Medica, partially because of this innovative manufacturing process you have. Can you walk us a little bit about how costs have changed, and what is so unique about your manufacturing process?
1: Yeah, um, let me, like. I guess you know. First of all, that's exactly right. Um, you know, because of companies like Baymedica and, and and our peers in the industry, um, these rare uh, but but difficult to extract, multifunctional molecules are now available uh, in abundance um, at a price point that has allowed for innovation uh, and product development, and then ultimately market adoption. Um, in the past you know, something called cost and use, which is, which is, you know, the cost of an ingredient as it relates to uh, the amount needed in a recipe, you know, high cost and use resulted in products that just could not be sold at retail, at least in like any kind of meaningful volume, you know, the retail price was just just way, way, way too high. Um, now, for us, um, there's definitely you know how we got here you know there's definitely know-how right that we've built up over, over many years and there's definitely ip um and and some other kind of secret sauces in our you know processes but really it's our people who have had the biggest impact on 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 that you know on, on influencing that you know getting to these cost and use levels to where adoption can occur i think right now we have like seven phds on staff we have an md Um, These folks have had the necessary schooling in chemistry and synthetic biology, um, plus the practical, you know, real-world experience uh, to synthesize these nature-identical, these bio-identical versions of these cannabinoids. And then, oh, by the way, scale that, you know, production. Um, And then eventually, you know, once you've done that, improve the overall economics uh, to where, you know, we can now pass this through to the brand and ultimately the consumer and now everybody has access. So, you know, um, I would stop there, but if you want me to give a, like a deeper sense of kind of our roster of people, I'd be happy to do that because I think that tells kind of us, you know, that, that, that would be helpful to the story, but I, you know, I don't yeah. want to be, belabor this.
0: No, I think it's a great point. Please, uh, please do.
1: Yeah. So, you know, just to give you a sense, um, our current chemistry manufacturing controls team, um, or, or CMC for short. Um, this includes people with experiences at places like Pfizer, you know, where they worked on, um, large scale production of active pharmaceutical ingredients or APIs, as kind of they're known, um, out in the world. They also worked on nutraceuticals for companies like this and vitamins. Um, we worked with somebody, we worked with someone today who worked on Centrum Silver, if you know that. Vitamin, yeah, I right? do.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I do. so, so they've done this before. Um, And again, they're very good at improving um, the economics of these manufacturing processes and making it possible for brands to now incorporate rare cannabinoids into products where, you know, previously the unit cost was prohibitive. And they do all of this, you know, I can't emphasize this enough without cutting corners on quality systems and and safety guidelines, you know, which is a huge differentiator. I think there, you know, there's a, there's a lot of you know, um, people that maybe aren't measuring up, uh, out in the market today.
0: And so the whole space is expanding. Are you seeing any particular trends within the rare cannabinoid space, any specific cannabinoids that are performing well, and you think will continue to do so throughout 24?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, ratio products with rare cannabinoids is definitely trending. Um, and an example of this would be, you know, what we kind of talked about earlier, um, like a 40 milligrams of CBD to 20 milligrams of CBC um, in, say, a tablet or a gummy. Um, we'd call that a two to one, right, ratio. Um, we call it a two to one product, right? And generally and, you know, internally, kind of everybody knows what you're talking about. And these products are designed to provide a specific, a, a specific effect or to address a specific uh, need state. Um, so by need state, I mean like you know, mental focus or physical energy, sleep, um, you know, in the case of the two to one, um, this target, this product would target um, the P word, um, which probably I could say out loud because um, one of our distribution partners has actually backed up um, that assertion with human trial data. Um, so uh, in any event, um, that product would, would target pain um, one of my products, as I mentioned, one of my favorite products, as I mentioned earlier is that one-to-one CBC to TC. So these are the kinds of products uh that are trending. Now, every major player in the space has their product development people working on this uh in some some form or other, or or some, to some degree or other. You know, many have launched products uh both in the regulated cannabis space, you know, the dispensary channels, uh, as well as uh the farm bill compliant markets, you know, the hemp mm-hmm. direct to consumer markets, you know, smoke shop channels. Um, if they're smart. Right. And, you know, we, we know this because uh, our distribution partners talk to these companies regularly and we do too. Right. Um, but you know, I'm a, I'm a data-driven guy. So, you know, if we have the time, I've got some pretty compelling data that, that illustrates, you know, why your audience should be paying close attention to this. Um, but again, I don't want to, you know, run us over here.
0: No, I'd love to, I'd love to hear it.
1: Um, okay, cool. Um, so this is some data from headset. If you're familiar with them, they're a a cannabis business intelligence company. Yep. Right. And, you know, for starters, uh, minor cannabinoid sales have grown from 1.7 million in 2019 to 391 million in 2023. Right. So, you know, say that that, that one more time, 1.7 million in 2019 to 391 oh my million goodness! In I no idea. Yeah, so you know, hyper growth by anybody's standards, right? And you know, in terms of market share for minor cannabinoid products, you're talking about growth uh, from under one percent in 2019 to 21 percent market share in 2023, right? So, you know, and if you want to like even drill down deeper, and you know, we focus, of course, on Products that we make, you know, CBC chromium is up almost a thousand percent from 2022 to 2023. Hmm. Um, now, mind you, I'll, I'll put the caveat in here that this is all finished product, right? So, like, don't try to tie this to like, you know, our our revenue or or our you know our, but like, you know, ultimately our ingredients are going into these products, but these revenue numbers are, are tied to um, to finished product. Um, THCV which is another product that we make is up 140% year over year. Um, And that may sound like modest growth compared to all these kind of crazy numbers that I just threw out there, but really THCV has been stifled by the thing that you brought up earlier, right? It's these high prices. Um, But we expect that the brands uh, are going to start swinging big with THCV now that we've been able to uh, drive pricing down. Um, And kind of in the spirit of like, you know, disclaimers and caveats, I do want to add actually a fairly, favorable disclaimer to all this um, this is dispensary point of sales data right it only includes the regulated cannabis industry and it only includes 11 of the 30 some odd states that have a regular regulated cannabis program so it's not the whole picture there's a lot of rare cannabinoid products being developed and sold in the farm bill compliance segment of the market and those aren't captured Hmm. In fact, they're not able to be captured. And then on top of that, right, headset's only going to grab products that claim rare cannabinoids like CBC or THCB on the front of the label, right? It's like, right, it's it's in the SKU name. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole opaque market um that we really can't account for where our ingredients are simply part of a formulation because they add value to that formulation. They're not the hero ingredient, um, and thus they're not captured in the data. So, and if you wanted an example of something like that, I'd be happy to share. But yeah, I mean, um, it's crazy um, how fast this is growing and, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, you've been paying attention to this since, you know, uh, 2016 or so. Um, and I've been paying attention to this since I was 15 and, you know, found cannabis 30 years ago, right? Um, the science supports this and it makes all the sense in the world.
0: Sometimes I wonder how big this market could ultimately get because what we're just starting to see on my side is seeing some of the public operators starting to see rare cannabinoids as a diversifying revenue source Mm -hmm. an example of that is i'm we're starting to work with a single state operator and they have uh you know normal plant touching cannabis operations with things like you know dispensaries and cultivation and extraction Mm -hmm. and they're looking at products like a THCV for example and different 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 formulated products as a diversifying revenue source that has the benefit of being able to ship be, to be to be shipped nationally which is a huge you know differentiator from the you know mm-hmm. from- from uh, you know T H C products, which you know, are you know where interstate commerce isn't allowed, so I wonder you know if we're going to see a bigger opportunity here as some of the public operators, you, you, especially think about the big ones, your Kira Leafs, your Buranos, your GTIs, you know your True Leaves in Florida. You know Florida seems like it could be a massive market for these types of rare cannabinoids because people down there do have a lot of the conditions that might be mm-hmm. you know hel- helped by this. I think I think seniors are a natural market for this, and Florida has a ton of seniors, and Florida has a pretty thriving mm-hmm. med- medical cannabis market. So, talk to me a little bit, Jerry, about how you see this market growing, and do you see more of the bigger MSOs getting involved in these types of products?
1: Yeah, look, Jesse, you just nailed it. Um, you know, the multi-state operators have been kind of relocated to you know the state-by-state model, right? Um, and you know, they all have aspirations to open up new markets, and you know, ultimately, you know, be you know governed under some sort of national, you know, federal legalization right? And they want to build towards that. And here's their opportunity, right? They have the ability now because, you know, these cannabinoids are now accessible to build products that they can push out into the national market. Sure, they can certainly sell them under the, you know, uh, inside the dispensaries within the state, right? The states, but they can also push these out nationally and sell them, you know, um, where, you know, whether it be D to C or or wherever else, um, you know, people would pick up these products. So it's a way to build their brand, it's a way to extend the reach, it's a way to create new revenue streams, it's a way to touch new customers, and again, it makes all the sense in the world, given who they are, and, you know, kind of the advent of this availability of these cannabinoids in, 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 in abundance.
0: And do you have any thoughts about like the slope of the growth curve for this industry? Do you think it, it continues in a very linear manner? Do you see it spiking and then reaching some sort of maturity or saturation? Just curious how you see this would be playing out over the longer term.
1: I mean, I want to be measured in how I answer that. I mean, there's a lot of factors, right? Yeah. So you know, it, it, it's difficult to answer um, without really spending a lot of time. Like, well, if this, then that; if this, then that. Right. Um, but my belief is that cannabinoids, you know, the ones that we call, you know, air quotes rare today, they'll be in every medicine cabinet. They'll be in every purse. They'll be in every pantry, uh, you know, in the not too distant future. And, and if you look at some of the, the leading research uh, and the addressable markets for, for those need states that, that some of these rare cannabinoids address, the opportunity is massive. Now, I'll just give you like one example. Um, the, the weight management industry is a $140 billion industry. One of the cannabinoids we make, we touched on this earlier at, you know, kind of through the lens of the munchies, but really, you know, uh, if you want to just look at it as appetite suppression, right? THCV has been studied extensively for appetite suppression. So you can see the opportunity there, right? Um, and this is just one of many, many use cases for these multifunctional molecules. So, you know, short answer to your question is like, I see the growth growth curve being very, very steep and extending out um, as regulation loosens up and loosens up and loosens up. And we start to see kind of more um, ability for brands to, uh, you know, um, uh, go out in the world and not be confined to some sort of state model or what have you.
0: Yeah, Merida Capital does a bunch of investing in the cannabis space, and Mitch oh, yeah. over there. Yeah, yeah. Mitch over there talks about normalization, and when he talks about normalization, he says, "I'll know where I'll, I'll know we're there when you go into you know CVS or whatever your local drugstore is, and you see things like Tylenol and Advil with different cannabinoids mixed in with them." Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's exactly right. Yeah, he's exactly right. How else do you see um, on the wellness side? These cannabinoids being adopted into consumer brands. Um, I mean, you
1: can find these products in a number of form factors today, right? Whether it be you know edibles or tablets or vapes, um, you know, and 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 what I'm talking about now is like really in the regulated cannabis space, right? The dispensaries. You know, you got brands like Wild that everybody seems to know, and and you've got brands like Green Thumbs Industries and their Credibles brand that have you know these ratio products uh, today. Um, you can also get them. D to C from a number of hemp health and wellness companies like Vivimu uh, is an example of one or the rare cannabinoid company is another one. Um, if you think like Mitch in this kind of larger consumer package goods, you know, world, right? You know, the multinationals, you know, the multinational CPG companies like the Procter & Gamble's and the, and the Unilevers, um, they're going to pile in. It likely is not going to be in the non, you know, it's likely going to be in the non-THC areas of the market, Um, and and this will happen when the FDA gets their act together on how to properly regulate cannabinoids. Um, But it's complicated, may take a little time, um, but it'll happen. And once they jump in, the scale of rare cannabinoid consumption will be multiples of what it is today. And you know, companies like us stand to gain, of course, by helping those companies fortify their supply chains. Um, but then all the early adopter brands, uh, become acquisition targets as well. Right. So, you know, um, it's available today. It's limited by, you know, regulation. It's limited by, you know, scale in terms of, you know, um, the, the inability of these kind of CPGs to jump in, but that all is just short-term kind of headwinds. Um, you know, all that stuff will get out of the way, uh, sooner than later.
0: And so what specifically, Jerry, do you think it's going to take for CPG to go from looking at the space to really participating in it?
1: Regulatory clarity. <laughs> you know, you know right, right now, the people that participate uh, in this are dealing with, among other things, a clear lack of a regulatory framework that governs how they build their businesses. And you can make that argument for the THC side. You can make that argument for people that are just, you know, doing non-intoxicated health and wellness, you know, non-THC cannabinoid products. I mean, the, the FDA hasn't even classified cannabinoids yet as, you know, OTCs or, uh, you know, nutraceuticals. Um, and, you know, these big CPG companies, they're just not equipped um, or nimble enough. Uh, or, or you know, have the risk tolerance to navigate all that murkiness. But once clarity presents itself, the P&Gs of the world, um, we know they're paying attention and, and they definitely will get involved.
0: And when I think about getting to that kind of scale and dealing with these CPG companies, consistency and purity, I would imagine, is critical. Can you talk a little bit about what you think they're going to be looking for in these products and how that plays into Baymedica's process? Yeah,
1: totally. Um, So it's been my experience, you know, both directly and anecdotally, right? CPGs often prefer ingredients that are synthesized, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of reasons. And I'll give you a few of them, like from a flavoring perspective, right? Even slight changes to the impurity profile. And and what I mean by that impurity profile, meaning like all the off-target stuff you can get with a plant extract, this can change your flavor from batch to batch, right? Right. Then you start thinking about, well, variation in cannabinoid profile, right? Like, so how much of this cannabinoid, and how much of that cannabinoid is in this specific batch of extract, right? It varies, right? So that can impact efficacy. Um, and then when you start dealing with like cannabinoids, right? And this is probably any you know any type of um, molecule that's synthesized, subtle changes at the molecular level can impact efficacy. Um, And, you know, what we do at Bay Medica, among other things, in terms of our quality systems, is we confirm that the cannabinoids we make are bio-identical to what the plant makes and identical from, you know, from batch to batch. Um, So ultimately, you know, efficacy is is ensured. Um, You know, at the scale that these companies produce product, they don't want to deal with those inconsistencies from batch to batch. And they certainly don't want to put out a product that tastes different or hits different, right? Right. you know, certainly it would tarnish their brand, but, but, but there's other, you know, very real concerns about all that. So, um, you know, it, how they operate and how they do business and how they procure ingredients and, you know, uh, and all the vetting, we fit right into that and uh, synthesized cannabinoids fit right into that. But look, it's not to say CBD, for example, or any other major cannabinoids can't be extracted from the cannabis plant. In abundance, right, with consistent results. Um, but for the cannabinoids uh, that we make, um, they're just far better suited for synthesis for kind of some of the reasons I touched on earlier.
0: And before you mentioned wanting cl- or that clarity on regulations would be helpful in terms of getting CPG more involved in the rare cannabinoids, I'm also curious. You know, all the all the buzz in cannabis this year is about the potential move from Schedule One to Schedule Three. Uh-huh. And, and i'm curious if how you would see this potentially impacting bay medica's business even though you aren't even though you aren't plant touching and involved in um you know thc thc products which is more related to uh this transition from schedule one to schedule three do you see any potential benefits from you if, the, if we were to get the, the dea's blessing and head in that direction
1: yeah i think so um are yeah. the cannabinoids is- the way we do things, right, cannabinoids like the ones we make, you know, non-intoxicating, right, not, not THC, right, um, they were removed from the CSA uh, by the farm bill, right? So from a legal perspective, it doesn't change our business that much. But, you know, Schedule 3 eliminates 280E, um, which, you know, uh so I'm sure your listeners know, will free up a lot of our end customers' capital and allow them to make ordinary tax deductions. So you know they'll be able to invest more in new product development and marketing those products, and overall they'll just be healthier financially, right? Um, I definitely expect some of this found money, um, you know, will uh, go into precisely dosed products or ratio products um, that'll be based on rare cannabinoids, and because these products sell through, and we're starting to see that now, um, and it casts a wider net in terms of target customers. Um, a lot of this newfound capital will will go behind that um you know beyond that i mean all the other typical things too that i think that this would not typical but you know all the all the other things that i think that this would affect would indirectly help our business and that you know access and cost of capital should also come down you know um so and then and then on top of that you know kind of these big cpgs they may not jump in just yet but like they'll definitely lean in closer, right? It certainly will be an indicator that things are normalizing, as, as as Mitch has said.
0: Yeah, I think all of those are right. I think a healthier cannabis ecosystem is certainly be helpful to you and pretty much all cannabis-related businesses. And you also use the word normalization at the end and that you know, sometimes in you know the bubble, you you and I live in you know slightly different bu- you know bubbles, but there certainly are overlapping areas between them. And to us, we understand that cannabis has medical value. We understand it should probably be descheduled. You know, rescheduling would be great, but you can't have alcohol and tobacco descheduled and not you know have cannabis be Schedule Three. However, you know we're so desperate for some sort of progress that. Just getting to Schedule Three would be fantastic because it does remove that 280 e tax burden. Should open up a bunch more medical research, and I hope it also helps with normalization. You know, maybe we see a coordinated democratic effort to do a few things ahead of elections to you know mobilize um, younger voters and push them in the democratic uh, direction. And you know, it would be great if cannabis were finally you know used as a pawn in that regard. You know, I'm exhausted with politics, Jerry, but if they want to use politics to help cannabis, you know, I'm ready for that at any point in time. So yeah. maybe the schedule one to schedule three. And if we can get, you know, any other political progress, whether it's more pardons, whether it's a Garland memo, but just cannabis more in the press, I think. And, you know, potentially moving to schedule three, hopefully helps push that normalization as well. Because I think with a lot of seniors, there's people like my dad who have a real, you know, chronic pain problem. And he's so desperate. A, my dad's pretty open minded. And B, he's so desperate for pain relief that he'll try anything. But how many millions of people out there are suffering with different ailments that A, don't understand that cannabinoids could help them, but B, also don't understand that the medical use and that we're not talking about just getting high with pot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I touched on it right at the outset of this the interview. Um, it took me so long to get my mom over the hump, you know, for all the reasons that you just laid out. Um, But when I got her there, um, she, you know, saw the light and was better off for it. And uh, yeah, Um, so there needs to be normalization. There needs to be um, the stereotypes need to be trashed, you know, Um, and all of this legislation moving that direction and the Democrats, you know, um, popping off about it during an election cycle and maybe coordinating and doing some things. If they're smart, they will, because it will mobilize people. All of that collectively will lead us to a place where more people want to access these products for the myriad of ways that they can be helped by.
0: And so many exciting things going on in the space this year, but maybe you can leave us, uh, Jerry, just with one final question here. What are you looking forward to most in 2024? Um, For me, I've been
1: in love with like the scientific aspects of cannabis really since I learned about the plant when I was 15 years old. Right. Um, There is a ton of research being done right now on rare cannabinoids, both in the form of human trials and primary research at universities. And all of that um, helps uh, to inform, uh, to validate um, the things that make me and and the people at Baymedica um, and others in the space, everybody else in the industry that are working on this, so passionate about the work we do. So, So that's really what I'm the most excited about. Just more data more validation, you know, um, and more things to inform how to, you know, navigate um, uh, or or, or to, to, to build our business, how to build our business.
0: I think that's a great place uh, to leave it, Jerry. This has been a fun conversation. I appreciate you joining us.
1: Yeah, Jesse, thank you so much. Really nice to meet you. Appreciate the time.
0: Okay. Well, well, thanks, Jerry, for being here. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of Watertower Research, LLC, aka WTR, and are provided for informational purposes only. The Watertower Hour may not be distributed or reproduced without written consent of Watertower Research and should not be considered research nor recommendation. WTR is an investor relations firm, not a licensed broker, broker broker-dealer, market maker, investment bank, underwriter, or investment advisor. Additional disclaimers can be found at watertowerresearch.com.